today. Power, corruption and Sven. As we head back to when Lazio did go, the vicar of Torsby meeting the man from Del Monte and conquering Italy. Plus, Inter are good again. This is not a drill. Napoli, Roma and more in Golazzo. Hello, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. And buongiorno, James Horncastle. James, I've been told I was too negative last week. Well, when well, we spoke negative, about but... May 5th and Lazio Inter. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go out of my way to be positively <laughs> upbeat this week. This is going to be great. Uh, and there's certainly a lot for you to smile about as we Absolutely. recount the extraordinary story of Sven Jorn Eriksson and Sergio Cragnarsi and all the crazy things that happened in the Capital and the Scudetto race of 99 2000. Partly prompted by the fact that, yay, Sven's got a new job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has. The man with the Cuban heels and the classical music collection. Mm-hmm. The heartbreaker, that, that is Sven Goran Eriksson. Yeah. Is now going to be trying to win matches with the Philippines. The okay. Philippines national side. It's a six-month contract. Mm-hmm. So clearly they're not entirely <laughs> committed to this one. But he takes over. I would say takes over. But do you know who the previous incumbent was, Gabriele? Who's that? Ter- oh, the Philippines national team. We were talking about the Philippines national Terry team. Terry Venables. Terry Butcher. But he oh, didn't yeah. take a match. I guess creative differences. Isn't the Philippines home to one of your favourite fast food joints, Gab? Interesting you should mention. I haven't, it's it's I, now in England. It's not just in England. And you have to take a number to go there. It's about 200 steps from my front door. Really? So do you get massive queues at six in the morning? I mean, you obviously don't follow me on Twitter. I've been tweeting about the Jollibee phenomenon. They've been open for like 11 days. Right. Um, I went by there this morning at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. The queues were around the block. They uh-huh. hadn't even opened yet. It's absolutely incredible. You speak to them and there's people, again, I'd say maybe 90% of the people I've seen in the queue are either Filipino or look Filipino. Uh-huh. But I know I've spoken to Filipinos who've come here from Norway, uh-huh. from Morocco. Who've traveled from Norway to go to Jollibee's. Yeah. We've got to get, hey, Jollibee's, if you're listening, we want to know what this is about. It's pretty special. You've been? I haven't been. It's special as a phenomenon. Oh, I see. I, I, right. I'll go. I'll go when yeah. they when, when when the queues go down. I have other right. stuff to do. Okay. Unless Jollibee, if you wanna if you wanna invite us all after hours, yeah. Maybe maybe we could even do the show from there after hours. <laughs> they do do a pasta dish down there. The spaghetti joy, I think yeah. it's called. Yeah. Spaghetti joy. Well, yeah. that's got to be great. They also do a yum burger, which but of course yum their, burger. Their most famous dish is chicken joy. Okay. It's all very happy. Right. Like me on this episode. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's have a little golazzo just so we can clear our minds and then get back to the calcio. Golazzo! Back in the days before Svenis was manager of the Philippines or any of the other things that he's been doing and not especially well in the last decade or so, he was a tremendously respected uh, football manager and we're going to look at the time when somebody put him in charge of probably the most expensive football machine ever assembled that Lazio side of the the end of the 90s this is a point that people sometimes forget I actually went back I looked at sort of the biggest ever spending sprees you know relative to obviously the the, you know adjusting for inflation relative to, to the spending at the time and one is obviously Real Madrid, the summer that they got Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Kaká and, and whatnot, you know, after Florentino's return. Um, one is Chelsea under Roman Abramovich in Claudio Ranieri's last season and Mourinho's first season. But the other one, by some distance, is Lazio, what Sergio Ragnotti got up to 
those enormous amounts of money he started chucking around. Yeah. Whose uh, money? That's one of the questions. And whose money? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He had 90s. this brilliant model, which is spend more than you earn. I mean, it was it was followed by practically anyone in Italy those days. Yeah. And he was a real trailblazer in that regard. All right. Well, it all begins back in 1992. Nineteen ninety-two, Gaza arrived at Lazio, but a much more important figure had joined the club a few months earlier. Sergio Cragnotti. Sergio, who? Serginho, um, because this is a guy who spent a lot of time in Brazil in his thirties and forties, and sort of made a few friends there. Influential people, the Feluzzi family, and he became responsible for all their business interests in South America and comes back to Italy and works, what, as a chief exec for this this company called uh, Montedison, mm. which then merges with Eni. Uh, so these are two kind of big chemical electrical companies. Right. One's public, one's private. They merge. And then a year later, they decide, hmm, let's split. Um, so the public company pays, what, a hell of a lot of money to buy them out, overvaluing the stake by about 600 billion lira. And this is at a time when we have got Tangentopoli. Well, this is what sparks Tangentopoli. No, it's when, it's when I think Mario Chiesa gets arrested that it sparks the whole Enimont, as it became known, scandal. A maxi Tangente. Yeah, yeah, and this isn't a bribe. It is the, the bribe. bribe. This is where we start playing in the TG because uh, <laughs> you've got you've got people being arrested, you've got politicians in in handcuffs. You've got Cragnotti's main sponsor, the man who kind of took him under his wing, Raul Gardini, who was an extraordinary kind of flamboyant businessman mm-hmm. who was behind Il Moro di Venezia, the Italian America's Cup yacht, basically deposed uh, in the sense of you know invited to court to to give evidence and taking a gun from his drawer and, and shooting himself. Una delta bianca targata Milano, scortata da due auto dei carabinieri, ore 10.40. My parents lived in Milan. Um, they lived uh, next door to to Raul Gardini. They lived sort of in, in the penthouse of the building, which looked down on Gardini. And if you know Milan a little bit, you don't have large villas in the center of Milan. You know, large villas in the center of any city, unless you're talking about Buckingham Palace. But no, not Gardini. Gardini had this villa with these with these grounds, and you could look down, and it felt like you were in the country because you were overlooking these sort of, you know, this whole plush, very, very big lawn, a little formal bit and whatever else. And it was right smack dab, surrounded by tall buildings in the center of Milan. And um, and that's where he, he shot himself. So Gardini met with this dramatic end. Others, like Bettina Craxi, possibly the most important politician in the country, fled to Tunisia. It must have felt at the time like the whole country was, 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 was tumbling down. It was the end of the First Republic, right? Uh, as, as they put it, and which led to the rise of this of the strange <laughs> businessman uh, and media entrepreneur named Silvio Berlusconi, right. of course, who I'm sure we haven't spoken of very often no. on this podcast. But Sergio, for his part, emerges, he kind of walks out of the explosion, kind of bad boy style, with... The Joker. <laughs> 80, 80, 80 billion liras worth, which is what, about 30 million euro yeah. of, of receipts, of, of money earned through this whole financial operation, and, 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 and uses that and make some investments which suddenly make him relevant to this podcast. I mean, what we should say, James, is his story at Lazio begins with him spending three nights in jail, and it would end with him in jail, mm. different one. Mm. But just as you mentioned that Craxi um, fled the country, 
Cadaniotti did it as well. He went back to kind of Brazil, supposedly because he was scouting some big name Brazilian players to bring to Lazio. But really, I think it was because he was panicking. Gazza had arrived that summer, played his first game in October. Then you'd had Burpgate, and almost immediately you get Cragnotti. The whole country was kind of being overturned by the whole Mani Politi thing. Yeah, one of the things that, about, about Cragnotti that stood out about him is with the 80 billion, he, he decided he was going to form this, this merchant bank, essentially a private equity group. And his whole thing was, oh, I'm going to buy undervalued assets and uh, sell them. And it was I completely forgotten about this. One of the things that he bought was this company in Italy, which I remember from when I was a kid. Um, it's a company called, called Brill, which they literally make shoe shine. Early 90s, that's the period when everybody started wearing leather shoes and brogues all the time, right? The sneaker disappeared, right? And I thought, man, you, you really know how to pick them. All right, of course, he was later to have a company called Bombril, which was a big part of his, uh, his holdings in South America, along with Del Monte and the whole Chirio food group, and, of course, as we'll discuss later on, Rome's Central Dairy. Yeah, I mean, this is the other thing about Caragnotti, James, is he was seen as this kind of man from the future, innovator, insofar mm. as he would take his team to Brazil for pre-season tours with a play against Santo. He'd go to Japan. Um, he was the first guy to float a club on the stock exchange in Italy as well. I don't know why he did that. Um, he buys the training ground, sort of revamps that a little bit. and Or builds a new one. And essentially spends, as Gab was alluding to earlier, heaps of money. I think yeah. in the first two transfer windows, was it 80, 80 million euro in today's money, which was you know, a hell of a lot of money at the time. Well, I think the, the figure for the, 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 the first decade, I think he was in charge for 12 years, and it's something like 800 million lira in the first 10 years, which would be about what's... That's 300 million, 300 million pounds. pounds, which in those days is just a, a crazy amount. And you look mm. through the players who came in. I mean, the initial signings like Signori, Aaron Winter, Gascoigne, of course, Diego Fuzer, Marco Gianni, mm-hmm. uh, Boxic, Kaziragi. Oh, Nedved as well, because Zeman it was who scouted Nedved. Yeah. And then Sex. he replaces him with, with Sven, and the spending really started. Then you have, well, Mancini coming in with... Svenja and Eriksson, Vieri, Salas, Varon, Crespo. Well, I mean, it's ludicrous. Stankovic, Almeida, Simeone, Sergio Conceição, De La Peña. Do you remember him? 26 yeah. De La billion. Peña. Yeah. And Gaisca Mendieta for 87 billion lira. <laughs> Claudio <laughs> Lopez for 54 billion lira. Yeah. Just but the great thing is, like the Mendieta one, you know, was, was one example. What he started doing towards the end, or even not even really at the halfway mark, right? Like with Mendieta. He was going to pay the money in four installments. So he pays the first one. And then he's like, guys, no more money. I'm not going to pay you anymore. So you, you can either, we can either go to court and I've got really good lawyers on permanent retainer. So it'll take a very, very long time. And who knows, since I'm kind of crazy, I might just declare bankruptcy. Or we can work a deal. I've got these players over here. This is what happened called your January second season at Valencia. I've got these guys over here who I can sell to you. Don't you want your very own Marco Di Vallo? And how about this nice person here, this, this Stefano Fiore? Look, he's really good. He Stefano might look Fiore was fat. good, no? But he was terrible when he went over there, right? Okay. Because, how can I say this nicely without getting in trouble? Because his inter- interlocutors at Valencia weren't exactly whiter than white either. They said, sure, and tell you what, let's put a crazy valuation on these people so then we can all play fast and loose and do this mega swap in the books and then we'll all, we're all going to look really, really clever. And, and so he started doing this kind of, this, this 
I mean, he was like the master of creative accountancy, but it had started before. So at the same time, he was playing real money for big players, uh -huh. but also engaging in this complete nonsense accounting, which obviously is what ultimately led to his downfall at Chivio and eventually him going in to a business as well. sense. Well, as you say, James, he, he seemed like a man from the future, that, and I think that era—not a nice future—that <laughs> that era of. Um, of the Italian game was really marked by these the, the rise of these great spendaccioni owners, these 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 men who, for the benefit of the grateful populace, would throw their their largesse around at their teams. You, you had obviously Berlusconi, who was kind of the template, Moratti at Inter, who was just throwing ludicrous sums around. You had this kind of unique set of of owners who we don't the, the kind of calcio caliphs, if, if you like, who would who would have the little kind of potentates, and and then we just don't. I miss those guys, you know. <laughs> Callisto Tanzi would be the other, and, and I guess quite a close parallel with... Well, Zamperini's with, still uh, going around. It's just in the second division. Yeah. He's trying to get rid of Palermo, but... Um, but in terms of somebody who comes in, and, and in the case of Callisto Tanzi at Parma or uh, arguably Cranioshi at, at Lazio, they take a, an undervalued stock and they invest it and they kind of shine up its image. They kind of repurpose it as a, a major footballing entity. And I suppose the historic context of this is, is Lazio hadn't won anything since 74. The 80s was kind of a, all about Roma, really. Roma and Juventus. Lazio being relegated, what, three times in the 90s? Yeah, need to be rescued by Caleri, who Cranotti bought the uh, club from because they were about to go bust. And all of a sudden, they're the ones breaking world transfer records. Mm. They're, as we'll find, repeatedly in European finals. I remember when when Gaza left, I remember reading in the Sunday Times, somebody complaining that, you know, well, England's greatest star is leaving for the Italian equivalent of Chelsea. Chelsea 1992 was obviously not what Chelsea later become. But in some ways, there's a parallel with the real Chelsea and what, what happened later with his spending, with the size of the fan base relative to the other clubs in, in town, with a sense that, you know, there was something that felt a bit nouveau riche about the club. But the fact that, whereas obviously Chelsea has a wealthy Russian billionaire behind them, for now, um, with Cragnotti there was nothing. Right. It, it, this it, it is a quote gigantic from, house of cards. A, a quote from Agnelli after, I can't remember which player that, and Agnelli says, oh, uh, Cragnotti can afford to pay things that the rest of us can't. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Let's talk then about when it all came together, when they reached their peak, you had the, the, the arrival of Vieri in the summer of 98. And I remember getting the front page of a newspaper on the way back from a trip and, you know, Vieri's coming from Atletico Madrid and being absolutely stunned that they'd, they'd added him as well. And it's fair to say that provoked shock in Italy. Yeah, so what Cagnotti had been doing with his incredibly diverse empire um, is he had bought the, the Centrale del Latte, which is basically the, the cooperative in Rome that has all the local dairy producers. And in fact, and he bought the local dairy producers actually in a range of Italian cities. Because the price of milk happened to go up by, I think it was 100 lire, so... 3p? <laughs> not much. Roma fans, and I, you know, people mock them for being thick, but actually they probably did have a point. They connected the two things and they wanted to make a symbolic, um, sort of a symbolic gesture where mm. they started the cappuccino strike. Or 
I am where they it, wouldn't would, buy cappuccino. They boycotted milk or products. They, yeah, they wouldn't have his milk products. I need, I need plenty of people who are doing that. Or, <laughs> you, know, you, know all, you know all the winners. Um, or what they start, what some did was uh, they started drinking Parmalat milk, which is UHT, long life milk. Which, right. I mean, because of course Palmer weren't buying any players with that. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And these two clubs weren't doing any kind of business between the two of them either. Yeah. Everything about that era was what was remarkable. We often speak of Lazio Roma as, as a derby, and Lazio fans out there, I really don't want to put you down. As you know, you know, I'm quite You're a close relationship this week. I'm very positive. I've got a very good close relationship with uh, with a high profile. Lazio fan and Paolo Di Cagno. And of course, I was very close to a Lazio legend Diaboli. who passed in, <laughs> in uh, Giorgione Chinaglia. Mm. And you're going to say, I sure know how to pick him and what do they have in common. But Lazio are just simply a much smaller club than Roma. When, when Lazio won the title, they went, they celebrate the Circus Maximus and mm. they have 200,000 people, which is very impressive. When Roma win the title, they have 3 million people, right? And sort of people don't go to work for weeks. To have this guy spending so much mm. and nobody figuring out where is this money coming from what's no, he doing no because he was it's business this is the thing I think that they, everyone was so ready to believe that people like he and Tanzi were the, the, the fresh face of management well, coming in bringing international expertise l'Italia che vince you know that they were revolutionising the old ways of, of, yeah, I, of I'll say this though about Tanzi mm. I, I think it's slightly different with, with Tanzi in the sense that Tanzi had a real product and a successful product. Uh -huh. What screwed Tansy over was the one year that things didn't go right for them or when they, they made a bad acquisition and they were going to show lower profits or show a loss. Uh -huh. What he did, he started cooking the books yeah. and he started borrowing money based on those cooked books. As a result, he started issuing bonds and stuff like that. And that put himself more and more into a hole. Right. And into jail eventually. And eventually into prison, yeah. yeah. And okay. he ended well, up ripping people off. With Cagnotti, there was never a real business there to begin with. Mm. That is the incredible smoke and mirrors illusion mm -hmm. of this man. And, and it was able to last so long. And, I, and I'll say this. I mean, you mentioned Christian Vieira and Atletico Madrid before. Lazio weren't the only club in Europe. There was a whole no. subsection of clubs in Europe, not just in Italy, that were operating very much on that basis. And it's not a coincidence that a lot of the business that they did was with each other. Each Witness, other. Atletico Madrid, Valencia, clubs like that, and Lazio, and mm -hmm. Parma. Mm -hmm. But James, to bring this right round, okay. outside of my flat in, uh, in Monteverde in mm -hmm. Rome, big bit of graffiti in blue said, Grazie Sven. One of the big signings that Cragnotti made in 1997 from Sampdoria, mm -hmm. where he spent five happy years as the team gently declined from their title-winning heights, uh, gently losing players along the way. And he, he, he took a couple with him. I mean, Lombardo made the journey south, although I think he'd been somewhere else in the meanwhile. Well, Certainly... Sven had already agreed, I think it signed, for Blackburn Rovers. Mm. Um, and had some discussions with Jack Walker about the team that they were going to build. He wanted to take Mancini with him to Lancashire. And Walker wasn't all that enthused about that because Mancini's wages were sky high. And then he gets a phone call from Cadagnotti and he basically summons Jack Walker to Milan. They have a conversation in... Cadagnotti does? No, no. Uh, Sven. Sven does. And, uh, and basically says, can I rip this contract up? Right. Um, so can it, I screw your wife? Oh, no, that was and, the other yeah, one. And Sorry. It, was, it, was, it was October of 1997. I was a young reporter and I was summoned up there with one of the big hitters from Correa de los Sport. And he said, all right, we're going to Blackburn to cover... Sven Jorn Eriksson's arrival and I remember we get up there and other than the fact that I met 
a local news reporter by the name of Dave Farrar, who no way. might oh, wow. ring a bell to you, who's very kind, gave us all the numbers, gave us Robert Kors. I think it was Robert Kors or Richard Kors was the actual chief executive of Blackburn at the time. And he had like this, this, it was like a Bentley or some big car. So we found ourselves staying in some sort of crappy Premier Inn equivalent and essentially following this guy for three days, but he didn't really do anything. He just went to an office and they go for lunch in a pub. This is like the story of when I, I went with Zvonimir Boban to his house. Did I ever tell you that one? But anyway, you go on with you yours. Have, yeah. No, and then, <laughs> and then while we're there, then eventually we get a call and it says like, oh yeah, it's not happening. But we weren't even sure if Ericsson had ever actually been to Blackburn, uh -huh. Blackburn at that stage or whether he just kind of signed the contract. Well, Mancini was a big Blackburn fan. Do you remember that he actually, the following season, got Sampdoria's third kit to be redesigned as, as you know, in that quadrant fashion of the uh, uh, that Rovers had. Yeah, like like Juventus's new shirt is going to look like. Yeah. That's a story for another day. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so they didn't get Sven, but they did get Roy Hodgson. Thanks to Sven, uh, it was Sven's recommendation. He was um, bright enough to see that uh, Roy had just been sacked and did him the favour by recommending him as a great English manager. I mean, what right. Wasn't he really bad too, Roy Hodgson? Wasn't this like a really bad, yeah. not as a bad person? No, the first season, no, the first, he, he had a really bad run, didn't he? No, the first at, at season Blackburn? was good. The second season was bad, I think. Oh, okay. But that's a subject for Gazetta, the the North Western edition <laughs> <laughs> football. Gazette. Yeah. So Ericsson does make it down to Rome. He brings Mancini. He brings Mancini, yeah. The idea is they're going to win the title. I mean, they brought in all these players. I mean, the centenary year which is the 99-2000 uh, season when you know, Lazio are celebrating 100 years since their, uh, since their birth. They have just... Uh, we'll talk about the players coming in, but looking at the squad, you've got uh, uh, the following. You've got Marco Gianni in goal, Italy international. A back four, which you could make up of kind of like Negro Favalli, Alessandro Nesta, mm -hmm. and, OK, Fernando Cotto, but still. Yeah. In, in, in midfield, you've got Nesta the likes Sensini, of... Nesta who was still a useful Nesta player. Nesta Sensini, Sergio Conceição, Mihailovic, Simeone... Lombardo, yeah, but but Nedved and Stankovic and Veron and Almeida. I mean, it's just insane. How do yeah. you pick out of that lot? I remember and the, the young Simone Inzaghi too. Oh, well, yeah, and then up front you've got young Simone Inzaghi, slightly less young Fabrizio Ravanelli, Roberto Mancini, Marcelo Salas and Alan Boxic. I think this is one of the best teams ever assembled, I think. And when you look at the team that played and beat United in the European Super Cup in 99-2000, you look at that midfield... Where they did have, as you say, James, Veron, Stankovic, Almeida, and Nedved, and Nedved. all starting at the same <laughs> it's time. It's insane, really. And uh, Stam in that game elbows Simone Inzaghi. So, what does Sven do? Oh, I'll just bring on Marcelo Salas. The thing is, that team actually did have a lot of success. It mm. won the Coppa Italia, it won the Cup Winners' Cup, it got to a UEFA Cup final, it won the European Super Cup, and eventually won the league title. Right. But you speak to any of the players, I remember talking to Mancini about this. And he said that team, A, should have won the league more than once, and B, their big regret is that they felt, particularly after beating United, yeah. they could have won the Champions League. Well, he had a, a troubled relationship with title bids in Italy. He was a respected manager, but going back to his first job in Italy at Roma, kind of mid-80s, the Roma team who'd just won the title under Nils Liedholm, they looked set to do it again under Sven, but instead... Well, that's right. And that's that's part of the reason why Sven ultimately developed the moniker Perdente di Successo, right? The successful loser. Because he we was always successful at getting another big job. Um, but he just kept losing, which I thought was a bit unfair. But it but did seem to that, happen. 
Yeah, that season. Um, so this is what, 84, 85? 85, 86. 85, 84, 86. 85 was when all was well with the world and because Verona won the title. 85, 86, the second to last, second or third to last day of the season. Last, second to last yeah. day of the season. They're, they're playing Lecce at home. Um, Lecce are already mathematically relegated. <laughs> what was remarkable was a few days before you had sort of the second part of the, the Calcio Scommessa scandal, the scandal which in 1982 or 81 ended up getting Milan relegated. And this is basically betting on football was illegal in, in Italy. So if you wanted to place a bet, you had to go to an illegal bookie who was often associated with criminal organizations or criminal organizations. Or groceries. Or, or groceries. <laughs> um, and they would often influence players, agree draws, stuff like that. And so people think, all right, this is done. Lecce at the Stadio Olimpico mm. against Roma. It's over, right? They're, they're relegated, nothing to play for. And yet that day they show up. Um, I think it was Beto Barbas, this, this Argentine midfielder they had, and they end up winning 3-2. Mm. And, you know, there, there's no possible explanation for this kind of collapse. But, and as you say, it, it, it earns Sven this unfortunate moniker of il perdente di successo, which it, it continued into his Lazio career. I mean, the, the year before this one, with Vieri in the side now, 98-99, they had looked ready to win the title, only to miss out on the final day by a point from Juventus. And, and this year, the centenary year, it looked like it was going to happen again. At Roma, Sven's team, in the second half of the season, they go on these incredible runs. And this was exactly what happened with his, his Lazio teams. They would go, I think one season they went 22 games unbeaten. Another, they went 21 games unbeaten. In that second season, what, they were seven points clear with six games to go and choked. And in the third and climax seasons of them winning the title, they were behind by that distance. Yeah. Um, they believed, I mean, Nedved talks about this, they believed that they were always going to catch Juventus because Juventus were clearly out on their legs because they, they played the Intertoto Cup they, they to get into Europe in that preseason. Juve played the Intertoto Cup. Yeah, I know. and they were, they were destroyed. They were Juve shattered. won the Serie B title as well. <laughs> <laughs> well. Boy, you are being positive. Like today. Milan. I know, I, I'm, I'm celebrating the success. So Juventus and Milan in the Mitropa Cup. <laughs> Sorry, that's good to hear this. The Juve was three points clear of them with three games to go. Lazio, there was this game where Lazio uh, won 3-2 at Bologna. Uh And then uh, there's this huge shout at the Dallara, the the Bologna Stadium, because they've heard on the Radiolini that Cannavaro has called for Palmer against Juve. So the the Sorpasso is on. But instead, an, uh, a you referee by the name of <laughs> DeSantis. <laughs> they would come up again, funny his enough. name keeps coming up. The ball was a metre. I mean, it was a metre over the line. And for some reason, he said no goal. And the, the next day, I don't know if you... you I mean, there was a... it, it was because... So he blows his whistle, but there's nobody near Cannavaro. So it's obviously not Cannavaro committing a foul. There's right. obviously nobody else involved. Everybody's just kind of standing around. So it wasn't that he ruled that the ball hadn't gone in. It was that... He blew for a foul. He blew for a foul. Cannavaro at the time was playing for Palmer against yeah. Juve. Juve, as a result, get the win. DeSantis, as Sven says, he calls him Juve's butler. <laughs> what a phrase. <laughs> and there they were, final day of the season, that Lazio, that stellar Lazio team, two points behind, needing a win. Needing a, a miracle, really, because Juve were away at Perugia and surely Sven was going to continue his, his run of near misses. Because there's no way that Juve were going to lose away to that side, except we all know what happened. 
some hours later, down in a sunny Stadio Olimpico, Lazio was celebrating the high point of what was an extraordinarily successful period. They had seven trophies in in those three seasons from uh, Sven's arrival. You had the last Cup Winners' Cup. You had uh, European Super Cups. You had Coppa Italias and everything. And if you look at some of the results they had domestically as well... Mm. They beat Roma four times in one season, um, which never happened before. Incidentally, in the second season when they choked, they choked because they lost to Roma. I think that's one of the great sort of sources of satisfaction for that team at the time. But they also beat... They used to go to Juventus all the time and win at the Dele Alpi. They, mean, won, think, that, they won that season late in the spring. I think, I think it was Simeone. Yeah. Um, His header. Yeah. I think that was a big part. In making them believe it was going to happen at that stage. Yeah, I mean, that was the great thing about Inter at the time. Last week, of course, we talked about May 5th, 2002, where they sell Christian Vieri to Inter. Mm. And as part of the deal, they get Cholo Simeone, who, you know, I mean, one of the, I think, was it was it the 99-2000 the season when they played in the kind of blue and white Argentina strip and they had Veron, Almeida, yeah. Simeone and, and Sensini? Lopez. Sorry, Claudio Lopez yeah. as well. Yeah. It, it's astonishing. Well, what you also had very, very rapidly, in fact, even that summer, was chickens coming home to roost. You had Nesta and Nedved sold and... Broke uh, Nesta's heart. Because Nesta, Nesta's from Chinichita, from Rome, captain of that team. He wanted to be essentially some kind of Totti-like figure. And he's told you're going to you're going to Milan. We've got to get rid of you. Boy's heart was broken. He wasn't the only one. Hearts broken. You had bank accounts broken as well, because this wasn't just a problem for players or football fans. It became very swiftly when Cragnotti's empire collapsed within the space of a couple of years. You had a major economic crisis developing, and, and, and a whole generation of pensioners. I, I don't think I'm exaggerating here. Who had their savings wiped out. Should, I don't, should we run you a bath, Gabrielle, and you can explain exactly why <laughs> Chinio's collapse did in the, the OEPs of Italy? Yeah, so basically, it might surprise people, but Italians are the second biggest savers in the world after the Japanese. And what they historically buy is government bonds and also private bonds. A bond is basically a, kind of like an IOU where you give a private company or the government money and they pay you back with interest. It's safe, it's just not very exciting and you know you won't get a high return, but that's the way all these old people in Italy like it. And that's what a lot of um, private and public pension funds had bought. They bought bonds linked to Chirio, just as others would buy bonds linked to Parmanat later. And, um, I mean, in a lot of cases, it wasn't even their decision to buy that. I think the banks who were owed basically shifted the debt from Chirio and, and Panamala across to the, their private investors. They shifted the bonds into the, the That's one funds. way of looking at it. Yeah. The banks would say, they're like, uh-oh, we loaned this guy a ton of money. Um, if he goes bust, we'll never see it again. But wait, one way we can prop it up is by issuing bonds mm. and getting Granny to go and put those bonds in her portfolio. Mm. And for a long time, that worked very, very well. And then it didn't. And then it didn't. Yeah. I think 1.125 billion euros was the default cost when Chirio, in 2002, so this is within 18 months or so of the of the Scudetto, uh, declared default on those bonds. Public prosecutor in the bankruptcy case asked for a 15-year prison sentence for Sergio Cragnotti, eight years for various other members of his family, etc., and so on. Just last year, in fact, the whole the whole thing was annulled. He, he spent seven months in Regina Celli, which is the, the central prison in Rome, 
If you I, haven't walked those steps, you can't call yourself a real Roman. Is that right? Step, yeah. There's a wonderful park just above it, which looks down onto the exercise yard. So Sunday mornings, all the families go there and wave to their to their loved ones. Anyway, so he spent seven months in there, shaving his head so he could become a real inmate, apparently. And the title that's, of his biography is the same title as Luciano Monchi's. I don't I know if that's just a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Un calcio al cuore. Kick to the heart. A kick to the heart. He did propel Lazio to a period of extraordinary dominance in Italy and to some extent in Europe as well, but at a huge cost to a lot of other people. But what a fascinating period. And as I say, his breed, for the moment, seemed to have disappeared uh, from the Italian game. What is he, didn't his whole family also go to prison? Too? Well, they were all, uh, yeah. They, like his yeah. son, his Absolutely. daughter, yeah, his yeah. maid, like everything. Yeah. that. Same with the Tanzis as well. No, And they actually did do time as well, mm-hmm. Stefano Tanzi and the rest. That was, a, for me, a fascinating little look back on a, on a very particular time. After this, why don't we talk about somebody who's having a roaring success in current City F football? Inter, six straight wins, best defence in the country. Everything coming together. They've just been down to Lazio on Monday night and come away with a fat 3-0 win. They looked impressive. This was Inter's... We're talking to, to, to James before. When is the last time we've seen Inter play so well? And I don't know, maybe in black and white. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe at some point in the Marina. There must have been one-offs. But Strama. for me, this was <laughs> bene, bene. Uh, this was really encouraging because I thought they actually played much better in Derby than people gave them credit for. You mm-hmm. just look at the last-minute winner, but to follow it up now, and obviously I know in between you had the defeat to a messy-less Barcelona. Right. Which is just, that's just a reminder, Barcelona are just still on a, very much on a different level. But I thought this was a really, really impressive performance from them. And it was a very Spalletti performance in the sense that, you know, I, I could see him sitting there and being like, ooh, you know, I'm the mad monk of Italian football. Let me do something that nobody expects. And I don't have Nangolan. Let me switch to a 4-3-3. And hey, that guy over there, aren't you Jean Mario? <laughs> <laughs> Where you been? Joe Mario, who hasn't played a single So how minute. much did they buy him for, first of all? Like, oh, do you want to rub it back in? I'm, I'm being positive. They paid, him, yeah. they, they paid a lot of money for him and for Gabigol. Okay? But Gab, this was the criticism of Inter and Auxilio because they spent, what, upwards of 70, 80 million on Joe Mario and Gabigol, which uh-huh. was the same amount of money that Lazio had to assemble a team which almost pipped them to the Champions League. He hadn't played a single minute for, for, for Inter since, what, like... In, in like nine months. Um, this is when Inter, they'd just been bought by Suning and they shopped with Ikea or Kia Jurabshin who was doing all of their sort of stuff at yeah. Jiangsu Suning. And they splurged all this money on these two guys and, you know, have had their hands not tied since, but certainly it's been a big millstone around their neck. But Spalletti does this. I mean, he, he repurposes players who look like busts in his first season. I remember when he came in and replaced Rudy Garcia at Roma, tried to get a, a tune out of Dzeko, didn't work, basically benched Dzeko for the second half of the season. And then in the next season, Dzeko's capocannoniere, they, they what, hit more than 85 points. Against Lazio the week uh, on Monday, they, they played really good, dynamic, free-flowing football. Lazio couldn't get near them. Brozovic was, was excellent. As Gab mentioned, they've seemed to have rediscovered Jao Mario and De Vrij was not playing in that game because yeah. um, emotionally it would have been too much yeah after his he part was... in the mm. 
in the the last game of last season he when was, he was still a Lazio player but had moved to Inter. The contract had already been deposited with the league and made a big mistake which allows Inter back into the game. But remember how close that game was. Mm. Lazio kind of choked and threw it away. But in this game, it was no contest. Yeah, Inter absolutely floored them. And from Icardi st- with uh, another standout performance up front. Maurito Icardi Vediamo cosa succede In area di rigore Icardi è solo una finta Palla sul sinistro Maurito Icardi Il terzo gol dell'Inter We've spoken about Spalletti Numerous occasions mm. on this podcast He comes in front of the, the cameras afterwards Beppe Bergami A sort of interlegend Thanks guy in the world Yeah And he's saying Congratulations on that performance Best performance of the season from Inter and Spalletti just can't enjoy it. He throws it right back in Bergami's face saying, you like the way we play now, do you? You like the way we play? That wasn't the case last week when you were criticising us and all this sort of thing. He's a miserable son. He is per maloso. I mean, he oh, is. Yeah. I mean, he now. was famous for being the only man to be fired twice by the same club in the same season. <laughs> I, I made this analogy before about, about Spalletti, but he was sort of eccentric but semi-normal. You know, the first time round at Roma. And then, you know, he gets linked to the Chelsea job, ends up going to to Zen at St. Petersburg. I know people who who went to see him when he was in St. Petersburg, where, of course, he won the league, did really well. There's this famous YouTube footage of him. They win the league in Kazan, right? Mm. It's it's freaking snowing, right? And And he, like, whips off his shirt, and he's walking around shirtless, beating his chest, and he's like turning blue because it's so freaking cold, right? And the the best comparison I heard from somebody who'd worked with him and who's known him, even played together years ago, was that, you know, in Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness? Oh, yeah. You know, Mr. Kurtz, right? Yeah. So him going to St. Petersburg right. was him... Going up the river. Going up the river, yeah. losing his marbles, becoming a god to the people of St. Petersburg. Right. But that means that you can't reintroduce him back into normal society. Although, funny enough, that's exactly what they did when they took him back to Rome. But he's like this now. Remember the stupid tit for Taddy got into with Sadly last year? Yeah. I mean, it's so unnecessary. But I will give him credit for this, though. Yeah. He behaves like a weirdo with the media, but, but it's not affecting wins. his team. Mm. You know, internally, it's not affecting his teams. And it's right. Six straight wins. Some of them good. Some of them like the Spal game, not so good. Uh-huh. But, you know, little by little, the team are coming on board. And now it's so important that they're actually playing well as well. Well, up into second uh, level on points with Napoli. Juve, six points. Clear Napoli sort of huffed and puffed and knocked on Roma's Door, really but well, yeah. So this was the derby of the South. Uh, Napoli hosting Roma, and, and Roma are th- lucky to get away with a point in the end. Yeah, I mean, score with their only sort of chance, really. Mm. Um, De Rossi goes off injured. They can't kind of control, get a foothold in the game, and it becomes sort of Roma at the Alamo. You know, where they're just defending in their own penalty area and. To be fair, I mean, they, they seemed to play a really good offside trap in that game. They kept catching Napoli yeah. out, but they were just inviting pressure and pressure. And ultimately, it came. Mertens got the equaliser in stoppage time. I thought they deserved more, Napoli. And coming off the back of that performance against PSG at the Parc des Princes, where mm. they were, again, sensational, Carlo just keeps proving people wrong. You know, I mean, it's... He's, he's a warrior of the light. And yeah. I think we ought to all embrace the light. Well, they'll all be focusing on uh, the upcoming derby of Italy on the 7th of December I think it is when mm-hmm. Inter and Juventus will be facing each other could be it might even reopen the title race for now Inter coming back from a goal down to win away at Empoli with a, a brace from Cristiano Ronaldo the first penalty the second a lovely shot from outside 
the area. The slightly soft penalty, I think you might say. Okay. It's a, put it there. A Juventus the, penalty. Well, it's in the it's in the scene them given. Okay. You know. All right. Um, but I, th- I think the worry for Juventus is that yeah. that game too. They played really well, created chances in the second half. But it was another one of those games, like the Genoa game, where they play for a half and then they stop. Mm. And and I know in between they had this tremendous performance at United, but it's so important I think for them to learn to. Well, in that game, arguably as well, they they took their foot significantly off the gas against yeah. United. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Mourinho. Come on now. But yeah, no, I. But yeah, but but that was Manchester United okay. away, and All you're right. playing Jose Mourinho, yeah. who, as you know, respect, respect. He's won how many league titles? I don't know how, how many, many of you it? won, James? Okay, thank you, and he won the treble. Gab's but, making three fingers at exactly. you as well now. Yeah, but one well, at but, a time though. I don't know why. <laughs> but I think the point is, it's interesting. Allegri, he was furious after the general game. He was absolutely furious at the end. In fact, I think he went into the tunnel before the game even finished. Yeah, he needed and, a bathroom break apparently. Yeah, uh, he's, you know, and mm. I think he's right. To, to They can't get too complacent. One other game I wanted to mention from this weekend it, it was Milan's win over Sampdoria. Milan are going to be... mentioned Jean-Pierre Ventura and Chievo losing again. Oh, still no. being on minus one point. Still on minus one <laughs> point. Uh, no, I was, boringly, I was going to go with Milan's 3-2 win over Sampdoria. Milan are back in action this evening in the game they had in hand against uh, Genoa. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes because they are kind of back in the conversation for the top four, but this seems to come and go week by week. This, with a front two, the way Berlusconi always wants it. But no 10, no 10, no. no 10. This is the issue. So Catroni, who opened the scoring up front with Higuain, and mm. that was the big issue for... I think uh, Milan in, in last Thursday's game when they got uh, beaten at home by uh, Betis. Yeah, they were appalling in that game. And and uh, Higuain completely, and I think in the derby as well, completely kind of an extraneous figure. He's not somebody who's really going to create things, I don't think, on on his own. And no, I think that's the thing with Higuain. He does. I mean, he, yeah. he, he's got this ability to hold up the ball, run at players, set things up. Um, the thing is, when things are going his way, he cusses out his teammates. He complains. And Gattuso's had to have a word with him about that. I think what was interesting about the Samp game is that their big-name players did turn up. You know, Higuain turned up in that game. Mm. Suzo turned up in that game. They'd both been anonymous in the in the derby against Inter. That game seemed to be trending in the same direction as a lot of Milan games this year, where they take the lead, they can't hold the lead, they go behind. Can we just say about Qualiarella's ball for Saponara? The two of them bombing downfield, they're a goal behind, and the, the ball breaks free. Samp area and, and off goes Qualiarella down the right hand side and he just does this marvellous looping ball across just switches play but without breaking stride onto the foot of Sapanara who, who the former Milan player who then 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 equalises and then Sapanara back to Qualiarella for the Samp second mm. and uh, they, they do look fun this year Samp sorry anyway but back to but Milan instead mm. of basically resigning themselves to their fate and not coming back and winning the game do mm. come back and win this game which had kind of been what Gattuso had been asking for, a reaction which had been so lacking, in particularly in the game against Betis, where maybe they were still feeling some of the scars of that, that last, last minute defeat to, to Inter. motivated them a bit, perhaps, by, by changing the formation. Mm. You know, with uh, with a 4-4-2, playing Cutrone with Higuain up front. We'd seen Cutrone with Higuain, but out wide. But, you know, this, I thought, was, was very much a front two. And yeah. Obviously, it meant Suzo further back, but, you know... You got to learn to do, put in a little bit of a defensive shift, too, and you know it, it might be something I think worth revisiting, especially if mm-hmm. Chalanoglu keeps playing the way he keeps playing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, in the derby, he was yeah. he was awful. You might as well not have him. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, we'll see what happens this evening. Then uh, Milan taking on Genoa, and then it's on to round eleven, which 
features some intriguing clashes, but the kind of standout game would be Fiorentina-Roma. So mm. a Fiorentina team who cannot buy a win at the moment. Sorry, it's not the right expression to use in Italian football. But they can't get a win at the moment. Will their fortunes change at the Artemio Frankie this weekend against a Roma team who are, let's be frank, a little flaky? Well, we'll discuss that perhaps next week. We'll also be touching on another of the uh, great stories, and I think I know which one, from the annals of the Italian game. For now, many thanks to Gabriele Marcotti. Thank you. And also, let's not forget, Napoli's 4-0 win over Paris Saint-Germain. Oh, yeah. Next yeah, well, that's coming up because I think next week we're going to be recording early, so it'll be before that. Oh, right. So we won't be able to tell the story of how Cavani switches sides at halftime and (laughs) comes on for Milik. (laughs) I'd pay to watch that. We'll see you then, Gabriele, and you as well, uh, James Horncastle. And listen, I hope you'll be joining us for next week's edition of Golazzo. For now, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. <laughs>